Welcome to Business and Investing with Grant and Charlie, where we are enhancing your complete set of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. I actually did that without even looking at a script. Impressed? Surely you have it memorized by now. I, th- I think that was the first time I've ever not read it. <laughs> ah. Hey, Charlie, when you do things in life, do you like to break it down into stages? Absolutely. I got one for you. I do too. And so for anyone listening to this, I've broken something down into stages for you. So step number one, head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. Step number two, put in your name. Three, put in your email. Step number four, hit the subscribe button. And then step number five is you're going to get an email from us every single time we drop one of these episodes. So make sure you head over and subscribe to the newsletter. What do you think about that? I can't believe how well you related the topic of this episode to the intro today. I think I did really well. Let's cue the disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Business and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Business and Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you personal or specific financial advice. We strongly encourage you seek out and use professionals when you are making investment decisions or comparing investment products. All right, Grant, this episode is going to be a fun one. We've been asked to revisit a topic we actually did way back at the start of this podcast, which is the stages of wealth. You ready for this one? I am totally ready. This is, yes. Me too. Now, I think we should acknowledge something before we uh, get into the actual episode. For anyone that's watching the video or potentially even on the sound, they might even you know notice it sounds a little bit different, looks a little bit different. We're on our second getaway, or is this the third? I was just hoping that people thought that we renovated both of our houses to look exactly the same. Well, I will say you have booked an absolute baller Airbnb. <laughs> if people think this is my house, I would be thrilled with that. Absolutely thrilled. <laughs> and then we had to move away from the window. <laughs> it looked even better. <laughs> this may or may not be the second podcast studio we've had to bootleg together in this house. <laughs> Uh, and I, I wanted to risk it, but no, Charlie, you're right. Consistency is key. It is. I got you. All right. Well, let, well, let's jump into today's topic. Need not address our ramblings at this point, although maybe later. Maybe. Maybe. So we got this question from uh, Jimmy Pomp, who I would have to say has been one of the fans of the show since the beginning. Very much so. So big shout out to Jimmy. I'm sure he'll listen to this episode and appreciate it. One of the things he brought up that I guess has uh, challenged him or he wanted to find some grounding in his thinking is about like, how do you go through the levels of wealth and why is the sequence so important? Because for example, if you just start investing, but you don't have a good business, you could see why that wouldn't work out, right? Totally. Or if you try and do or act like a financially independent person, but you're not yet financially independent, can see that causing some challenges also. Well, you do what I was doing and just do business entirely until you sell out and just try and figure it out from there. (laughs) Which is also not recommended for me. Yeah. Well, what I want to do is I want to go over the stages. I'm going to list them all out. And then I want to go back and we're going to do a dive into each and really talk about like why the sequencing is so important. And then also what you need to do to like complete that level or stage. And get into the next get one. Into the next one. I think Done. it's huge. All right. Give it to us. All right. So stage one. And uh, I think this is, I've had so much pushback on this. It's not funny. I think you may have as well. Did I have, but you know, there is a group of people on the other side and like, this has given me all the clarity. Like before I heard it, now I understand exactly where I need to go towards. All right. So stage one, you've got to build a business that enables you to invest $5,000 a month on average. 
Now, for some people, that might be, you know, you do 15 grand a quarter or it's, uh, what is that, 60 grand a year. Yep. But that is the type of level your business needs to create that kind of cash surplus on top of your living expenses where you can invest that. And that, I will preface this. That's the minimum. Minimum. I encourage a lot more than that and there is no limit on what we can do as business owners. So, we'll come back to that soon. I'm going to put one more word in. Consistently. Oh, keyword. <laughs> we should come back and just talk on that point for stage one. <laughs> totally. Totally. All right. Stage two is buffers and deposits. So, once you've got that business churning out some cash, now it's time to get your buffers and deposits in place. Side note, that would be a great podcast topic or a great podcast name. I actually don't mind that either. <laughs> buffers and deposits. Wait, are you hinting at another <laughs> rebrand? No, I don't want to go through that again. It's a, it's a good property name. It's great. All right, next one is stage three here, which is the investing stage. Totally. This is where you're absolutely starting to put some of that money to work. And uh, I won't go too deeply into this one here, but it's like key milestones, hint, hint. Love it. Stage uh, four, financial stability. Now, you and I had a bit of back and forth on what to call this stage. Uh, do you, I'll even let you. How do you think of financial stability here? Do you want to do it now? So I, I, think, I think of it in the sense of having choices where, and we talk about the idea of I, I get to do things versus need to do things. Like there's a lot of things that I know that I did in my business journey that I needed to do versus wanted to do. <laughs> and like that stability creates the choice of like, what do I actually want to do? Would you almost say this is the stage where you've got a little bit of wealth behind you, but there's still a bit more work to do? You have to still work, yeah. but you're not a... Yeah, you're not like a slave to the business. Like the business is not mandatory. All right. And then stage five is the financial independence stage. Yep. This is where the fun kicks in, Grant. This is where you've left the matrix. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that it's dangerous. Do you know what? We actually should have called stage five exiting the matrix. <laughs> Which pill do you take? Although I'm looking at stage six here and uh, I'm gonna, I've renamed this one to stage six is let's get wild. <laughs> Business owners gone wild. There's another podcast name. <laughs> I think a stage six is uh, some people will call it legacy. Some people will call it lifestyle. Totally. Some people will call it exit the matrix, like the stage six, which I will come back and talk to because it is something I'm experiencing for myself at this stage. It's been very interesting. I've seen a lot of people go for impact in stage six as well. Like Huge. Impact. Another great one in there. So there are six stages. So let, let's come back around and uh, start with the start and see where this goes. Stage one, the 5K per month on average, consistently able to invest. Take me to it. All right. So this stage is critical because uh, I think a lot of business owners have, like, and the reason why I like consistency so much, is they have like this instability where like business is so uncertain that they don't know where the money is going to come from or when it's going to come in. And you talked about like monthly, quarterly, yearly, because every business is slightly different. The key to this is the stability of the business. Can the business earn the money to pay for your own personal expenses, the business expenses, but then have some left over for you to actually go and invest? And so there's a lot in that where I think a lot of business owners right now wake up every day going, where's... Where's the next dollar? Go- where's the next sale coming from? While well, this operational problem, this other challenge, where the, the consistency is not just there. It's like feast and famine, where it's like some days it's great, other days not so good. Would you find or do you find that for a lot of people, they're not getting that consistency, potentially also not enjoying their business, and they try and skip this step and invest to almost like find a way out 
of having that stable business that can create this type of stability. Totally, but they also don't have this sort of... I want to say like 5K is not a huge amount for many business owners. No, it's not a huge amount. Let's just set the context here. If you're you're listening to this podcast and you think creating a business that produces five grand a month to invest is a lot, probably not the podcast for you. (laughs) It's it, totally. And so for a big change for myself in this was going, that money is going to me for investing outside of the business, not going to the business to grow the business infinitely. And that was a dangerous cycle that I was in in uh, software as a service world was every dollar you had left at the end of every month would go back into growth, back into scaling team, back into improving processes, doing everything. Can I ask a question on that? Totally. Let's say you're at four grand a month consistently right now. Are we saying you should reinvest in your business to get it to that five plus level? I would reinvest in myself. What do I not know that actually is going to help me get on top of it? Because I think if you went and got uh, another team member or a couple of team members or anything to try and improve the business, right? Like you have just completely removed the thing that you're trying to run towards. But maybe, maybe not. That's very, very circumstantial. That, I, w- I would push back that on pretty hard. But even then, that's reinvesting back in the business, even if it's you or a team member. So if it was, if it was me, I think that I'm always the ceiling in a lot of problems that I have, which is why businesses, uh, my businesses weren't creating the profit that I wanted at a certain point. So if I go and work on myself to try and learn how to extract more profit, then obviously the business is going to have that coming through, right? Where if I just continue to try and invest back in the business, maybe spend some more on some technology, do some other things, there's no, there's no guarantee. You are such a product guy, right? Totally. It's like you could spend more on marketing to get to that five grand a month a, level. Totally. But the summary is like you need to get to that 5K. Like you can't get to 4K and go, I'm almost there. I'm just going to go throw into investing. It's like, no, it's a hard and fast. <laughs> Can I throw in some things here that I think might totally. might be if you're not at the five grand a month level yet, whether it's consistently, whether it's you're at three grand, whether you're you know working your way up to it, I do believe that it's whether it's investing in you, like to your point, it might be your own education, whether it's investing in marketing, a salesperson, whatever you need to reinvest into your business to pass that threshold is what you should be focused on at this stage. I concur. Uh, totally. Probably not operations, <laughs> sales, marketing, and your person. I'm uh, maybe. I'll, I'm just going to say it depends on someone's business. I'm not. I'm not certain on that one wholeheartedly, but I do get where you're coming from. The p- probability is quite high. Yes. What's consistently here? So, how long would someone need to be able to maintain this level for you to be like, right, cool, you've crossed the threshold on amount. You're doing it consistently. You've graduated from this step. Yeah. So if we were to simplify it, so imagine we're going off months. So 5K a month and they could assess that every single month, it would have to be six months. Like you would have to see that six months because if, you're, if you've got a month where it's like 1K and another month that's 7 or 8K and another month that's 2K, that's not consistently. <laughs> like that is sporadic, right? And so through a six-month trend, you can go, Every month we hit five and seven and five and a half. You go, I'm consistent at this. Like there is, I know the recipe in order for it to be successful. And so I would go the six months. The temptation to lie to yourself on that one is high, I feel. And the second order consequence is you're just going to ruin the next stages. But that's the thing, right? If you, let's say you have three months where you get that five grand, you're like, yeah, I'm here. But really you just had a hot run with Facebook ads. Totally. um, Or a salesperson or whatever it is. If you don't have that foundation in place to continually push that amount of money into it, you end up actually going a lot slower later. 
it's, it's funny because that's exactly why stage two exists because it's almost like you can get to stage two but fall back to stage one <laughs> because of it, right? So it's, uh, yeah, I, it has to be that consistency. You have to see it over time. Can, can I ask you, uh, and we haven't rehearsed this, but we don't rehearse any of our podcasts anyway, so I guess that would make sense of framing it that way. Probably should. The people seem to like it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, sure. If you, let's say you got your business to doing five grand a month consistently. Yep. And you got to your current level now, which I would assess on this, you're probably in stage four. You're in financial stability Complete. at this stage. Choices. If your business suddenly didn't produce five grand of profits, you're going straight back to st- stage one and just like that is the focus. Completely. Completely. Because you can't stay at another stage because you don't have the capital allocation to continue at it. Like the, the foundation, it's like, it's like me going into a house and just ripping out the stumps. The house is going to fall down. <laughs> And that's why I wanted to reference that there because the temptation for many would be probably not to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can unpack that as to why they don't want to, but sure. Well, I would even go this. I'm I'm in stage five slash stage six at the moment. Yep. So I'm in financial independence and let's get wild a little bit as well, which is why we're doing this weekend away. Totally let's get wild moment. I'm still not willing to let go of stage one because that new capital like, I just don't think this is appreciated enough and that's why we're staying here. The ability to continually come up with new capital and compound into investments, not just relying on the investments themselves to grow. Holy smokes. Well, it gives you a second option, right? Instead of just waiting and just having time to your advantage, you have capital and time to your advantage, which means that you've got you got these two levers that you get to push and pull, and you, but you're not forced into any of them. It doesn't matter. If you have capital coming in and you go, I don't want to deploy the capital into investments, okay. <laughs> What's actually occurred is like in the last, let's say, nine months of when interest rates have gone up, I've been able to be opportunistic. Completely. I'm in a position to continue to do great deals and even accelerate some of the investing stuff because of that foundational stage one layer. Completely. All right. So let's say, all right, someone's got six months where they've got an average of 5K a month to invest. That's not profit. That's investable after living expenses. So I'm literally saying like 30K in a bank to say, and it was like every month you were contributing to that 30K. It's not like you just need to fill that thing to 30. It's like every month there's a deposit of 5K, 5K, 5K minimum. And then you go, great, consistent. And it's there and I can see it and touch it and feel it. That is the point that you can sit there and go, what stage two? All right, stage two then. Buffers and deposits. No one steal that podcast name. <laughs> I should probably get registered. <clears throat> no, I mean, this will come out. And I'm like, oh, I should have registered it. Yeah, so buffers and deposits. Talk me through it. I took the last one. You get to take this one. My views on this have changed a lot, I, um, I will say. <laughs> All right, so I, at a point for me before I started investing, I think I had like two to three years of living expenses in an account, ready to go. And the, ho- the whole idea for that for me is I wanted security, totally. really. A huge amount of security because I didn't necessarily like the risks elsewhere. And I just felt that if, I'm going to be real, I, I, I felt at a lot of the times my business could just fall apart and collapse at any point. And I wanted to have a nice amount of buffer there. So if things went wrong, I had a great amount of capital to fix it and time to fix it was the other one from there. Looking back on that from my own experience, that was silly. It was way, way too much. Um, And maybe even what I'm about to say now may still be too much, but I very much feel for um, 
for a business owner, there's two buffers I really want in place in this uh, stage. Number one is I want whatever your business costs to run for three months. So you're just everything it costs to actually operate. I want three months in an account. Totally. And if you're a good business owner, it would take something pretty significant for you not to be able to fix your business in that three-month window, I think is there. So this is backing yourself in skill and ability as well, I will mention. Uh, then you've got the personal living expenses or running your life. And for me, I will say that 12 months is the magic number. So if I've got 12 months living expenses set aside for running the day-to-day and I've got three months for business, I'm good. Like I'm sleeping well at night. I'm feeling very confident that if anything goes wrong, I'll be able to handle it. Yeah. <clears throat> so mine's similar. So I'm fine with nine to 12 months depending on like, because I look at my living expenses and I go, okay, what could I cut out tomorrow? Because everyone's got those luxury expenses, right? That you just have feeding into what you spend day to day. And I'm like, I don't need to go and eat out at all these restaurants. Like if time's got bad, like imagine the business burnt to the ground, time's got really bad. And I'm like, okay, imagine I need to tighten the purse springs. I'm like, great. That's a over 12 month. But I'm like, can I maintain what I currently pay, current level, still going out for restaurants, still buying a couple of things here and there? I'm like, that needs to be nine to 12 months, not skimping grand. You could completely stretch 12 months living expenses into potentially 18. But I think that's if the whole you point. knew times were. That's what I didn't appreciate. Yeah. And so that, so for me, it's like, as at current living expenses, nine to 12 months, I'll, I'll concur with you to make it even more simple 12 months. And then on the other side, from a business perspective, three months. And I I concur with you on this because as a business owner, if I do not see the writing on the wall of the business, like clients leaving or people cancelling, and I'm I'm not going to change anything, literally where it goes from making X amount of money to zero dollars, and then I can pay my team, there's something wrong with me, (laughs) which means a three-month run sitting in a bank account is probably more like six, nine, 12-month run because when I start seeing the writing on the wall where revenue's dipping and I'm like, okay, I'm going to adjust the team size. I'm going to adjust what we're doing, try and bump up sales and marketing, right? And actually try and right size this thing. It's not like it's just going to crash to zero. I'm just going to have to continue paying the team. <laughs> Completely. You, you know, it, it, like you can see if you're managing a business well, you know well ahead of time if it's a decline, if there is a change. Totally. Can I throw in some caveats though? Let's do it. I think in some businesses, you may want to go to six months. And in others, you might be happy to run less as I drop my cup of coffee like it was empty. I was going to sell my that's it. We'll get, we'll get it back in the game here. <laughs> Just in case we get a – we'll put that to the side. I got excited. No, I'm down. Like, really, I can't, I've never met okay. another guy to get so excited about buffers before. All right. So if you are an accountant with very stable revenues and very stable recurring revenues, you might be willing to do two months because you've got a lot of different clients, very recession-proof business. Like it's fairly stable. You might have, you know, certainly that type of thing. On the other hand, let's say you're in a business where you've got one client who's 60% of your revenue. That's fair. Which I I must say, we come across often. Like we have come across this often. Way too often. So if one client is 60% of your revenue and you cop it here, you're going to feel a really big impact. Yeah. So if you're in the type of business where you have like a sensitivity or key client risk, I would say six months is more appropriate there. No, I can care with that. So just some little caveats depending on the type of business you're in. Um, and even to the point, I think in in our world of online, I think we forget at times how easy it is to grow without the need of capital. Yeah. 
So like we can sell more services and get paid up front, for example. But if you're in manufacturing and you need capital to make something before you sell it. Buy a machine, yep. Completely. Or you're in uh, property and you need to fund uh, a project before you can sell it. Totally. Then they would be some little adjustments you would make there as well. It's all, yeah, it's totally dependent as we're just trying to provide a, a guide. A range. A guiding principle. Um, I will say here though, this is probably the value of this step that I think is underappreciated. When you don't have any buffers in your business, there's going to be moments that come up where there's a client that you don't want to work with or there's something that happens that uh, you need to change but you don't because you need money. Yep. And as soon as you have this client that you particularly is not the right fit, doesn't mean they're a bad person, right? But let's say they're just like they're not quite the right client for you. They're not quite ready for you. And you know it in your gut. And you're like, oh, no, this is going to be hours of pain. But You need the money. You need the money. Yeah. Yeah, So you take it on and then it clogs your whole system and you actually end up running a less profitable business that grows slower. Where if you've got the buffers in place, you can be selective and picky and start playing a longer-term game in business, which actually enables more profit and more efficiency. It just seems counterintuitive it's, at the time. It's actually funny how that scenario you just walked through actually just keeps repeating every stage because <laughs> it actually you just literally then just choose the people. It's like, rather than the clients. It's like I don't need a client. I just want to work with some cool people. <laughs> well, that's where let's get wild comes into it. Totally, we'll, come to, we'll come to that oh, at another totally. point. The debauchery that is my setup. Any but. For many people, you could see this right now as like, okay, maybe I've only got $1,000 a month to invest, don't have buffers, and then they want to get into property or they take in, uh, take on a large amount of debt to invest in property maybe yep. or get involved in uh, the share market or other things from investing. It's like, how are you meant to keep playing that game if you haven't got these things? Totally. Because, and, it's, and it's challenging because everyone gets told that like cash in a bank account, like you should just never have it. Right. If you're a PAYG, <laughs> I can understand it. <laughs> totally. But it's it's so as a business owner, when you've got so many uncertain risks, I just I, I find it negligent if you don't have buffers in the business. Cash is options to our caliber totally. of people. Talk to me about deposits. So we've got buffers, we got twelve months living buffer, we got three months business buffer. Give or take again, it's dependent upon everybody and they have to look at their own situation. What about the deposits? What about the second side of this equation? All right, I've been thinking about this one a little bit here. What I what I really like about this being in this stage is regardless if you're going to go into property or go into the share market or whatever you're going to do in investing, the reality is, is that you're going to want to bring capital to the table. Completely. All right. So if you're going into the property world, which we're very biased in and we love ourselves, not financial advice. Um, which I just have to wire in and say everywhere as soon as I say that. Well, you said shares, so you have to say it now. All right, not financial. <laughs> <laughs> but but to the point of that is if you're going to go into property, there's two parts that go with it. One is the servicing, which is your five grand a month. Yep. So the bank being able to see that, hey, this person's got surplus to be able to support a loan and so we're going to give them money. and borrow from them. Yep. The second part of that though is that you're going to want to leave at minimum, a 20% deposit. Maybe it's a 10 if you really want to push it, but that would be another discussion for another podcast episode. Just sleep with an eye open. Just like. <laughs> Yeah, I, I personally wouldn't do it, right? I leave 20% deposits for a reason, but we'll come come back to that. People have probably heard me enough ranty about that one. Um, but to have that ready to go. 
Totally. So if you are building up those types of things, if you do that, when you enter stage three, you don't have to wait around and then be able to play the game. Like you get to start on the front foot here. Complete. Is there, and I know because everybody can invest in different types of assets, right? Like shares, um, crypto, property, et cetera. Is there a certain amount that they should target towards around deposits? I will give the ratio that I looked at for for myself personally. Every time I have 150 grand available, to me, that's the signal that I can buy potentially a property for 500,000. Yep. And why is it 150 into 500? You got about 50 grand of closing costs, whether that's buyer's agents, stamp duty, pest and building, repairs. Like inevitably, in every property I buy on that ratio, that's about your closing costs. Totally. And then your 100 grand is your 20% of 500. So now, obviously, that ratio can scale up and down. If you're doing a million dollar deal, you'd say 300. Or if you're doing a, a smaller deal, you would need less, depending on what you do in there. So that's the type of deposit you would want to have together on top of your buffers to be able to enter that next game in a really strong way. And it's tough looking at a bank account with like a quarter of a million dollars sitting in it. And it's like, oh, I need to deploy this somewhere. <laughs> like it's, it takes some serious uh, resilience to actually just like not go and spend it or go, go and do something with it. I think people are mistaken that I'm promising them easy. Yeah, no, I it, totally. It's uh, the methodology that I follow and we share here is not one designed on getting rich quick. And I'm sure there's many people that can come out and say, well, Charlie, you know, we could have leveraged this 100% loans, LMIs, didn't need the buffer and done it quicker. Sure, you absolutely could, but you have to take the risk that comes with that. And I look at this and go, I'm not in this to then make something, lose it and have to start again. I have seen that. I've I've had close friends who have gone through that, right? Where they have stripped themselves of any buffers and their businesses of buffers and they've made decisions and good, great investing decisions that just had a dip in a market and they were forced to do things that I just, I'm like, it just twists my stomach selling assets at the time when they should not be selling them. Well, that's the key here is that for many of these people, and I won't say all, some pull it off. Completely. completely. But just like buying a lotto ticket, you know, some people win. It's not a strategy I'm going to take for wealth building. Yeah, totally. And to, to that deposits point, one of the very first places that I bought, I just said, how do I dip my toe into property investing? I didn't want to overcapitalize. I wanted an, an easy out if I wanted to get out. And so I put 100 grand in bank account and said, cool, the 100 grand deposit bank account. And it was, I think it was 280 grand. And I just said, I'm just going to dip the toe in the water. Sure, there's bigger properties out there that might have better returns. I'm like, I just want to start this out. But now I'm on my journey. Literally, I'm basically aligned to your 150 to 175 for like a 500 to a 600,000 dollar place. I'm like, every time I hit that, let's go again. Let's go again. Let's go again. Um, noting that every time I look at my buffer, this little part of me is just like, oh, the delinquent grant wants to come out. Come on. And I just have to repel myself away from it and go, I can't do this. Like that, I know that it might get me there quicker. But what am I really trying to risk here? Can I share something here that I think may be valuable? Do it. It's inevitable you feel the urgency to like you want to go faster. Yeah, totally. The accelerator. Do you want to know how to channel it? Yeah, just put it in the bank, the wife's bank account. I don't see it now. <laughs> Do you know, I have joked at times, I think at this stage of my life, it would be wise for Bianca to take me off the internet banking. I'm like, cool, baby. Whatever you need to be comfortable, put it in some accounts and just... just- don't Disconnect me. me. I don't, don't, don't want to know that. about that. <laughs> it's like... We're way too similar, but this is great. Yeah, I'm just, I don't even want the temptation. 
I want to get to the stage where I just have one bank account that's like Charlie's allowance. <laughs> she just transfers cash into every single month. <laughs> You're like this kid. Uh, anyway, w- when the urgency comes in, so you say, oh, I want to go faster. I'm, and like, I hope people are understanding. I'm asking you to build up a lot of cash here. Shoot. Yeah. Like buffers, deposits for whatever route you go. Like there's a whole bunch of capital in it. And you think about it, it's like potentially here, I'm asking someone to probably come up with like 300 grand. Yep. Right? More maybe. Can you see how long it would take if you're like literally setting aside five grand a month to get to that 300 grand? It's about four years, five years. Yeah, which is a big duration of time. Do you want to know a way to improve that? Make more money. Exactly. Yep. And that's where the five grand a month is the minimum. But why we say it's the minimum is you can see how long it would take to build these things up. I was investing a lot more than five. Yep. So what actually enabled me to go quicker, and I think yourself as well, I know I'm not isolated here, is going, when that moment comes up where I go, cool, I want to go faster with investing, the signal for me is not, well, geez, I better stop buying a coffee at the local coffee shop. It's like, go earn more. Totally. Like, I always like those conversations where people are like, I'm just going to save my way to, to wealth. <laughs> like, it's a very long road. There's definitely some merit to that if you have an exorbitant lifestyle that, like, <laughs> saving some money and reducing down will improve speed. But at the end of the day, like, and I'm even happy to be transparent on this one, when I started saving 25, 30 grand a month, right, now we're flying because I've just done that 300 grand in 10 months. Yeah, comparative to someone else. Yeah. Or that 150 in five months. Completely. And that's what enables some significant things here. And like, it's a wheel that like, and I've often thought about it, it's like a giant wheel you're trying to turn. But once there's some momentum in it, like, and compounding comes in from other things, what can be achieved is just absolutely bonkers. The thing that I like is it, it focuses business owners in on the one metric, which really matters, which is the amount of profit that they are putting into that buffers and deposits account like that's really all that matters and then they're like wow i want to go quicker it's like great go earn more exactly (laughs) you have the power go use that energy stop trying to rush it on shady property deals and crypto exchanges like go make more money in business and but that's the thing that i find so fascinating is because they go and spend all this time trying to find better property ways to like do LMI, like cheaper deposits, or they they do all this tactic chasing and they spend this amount, huge amount of time to try and figure it out. Or to your point, like crypto get rich quick schemes. And it's just like spend the same amount of time to learn how to earn more. <laughs> like it's a vastly better skill set. <laughs> I've thought about if it wouldn't cause so much outrage, I would raise the minimum to 10. I really would. But it's like for many people, it just seems to bend their mind that five is a lot, but it's just not. Well, it's a gateway drug. Like the second you get to the five and you start seeing your buffers and deposits go up, you go, oh, this is too slow. Do, do you know what's interesting? We, we've recently, and I won't name this person here because it may not come out in the right way, but there's someone we work with closely that we've kind of started uh, sharing some of this methodology for where previously they were a person like as soon as they had some money and they're trying to invest it completely and they even had some personal debt and they were still trying to invest while they had large amounts of personal debt and things which we might cover personal debt um, at a point here as well because that is something i would say in this stage you want to clear out you don't want to be having massive credit card bills or car structures or anything in place. one you want to clear it <laughs> yeah so we should we should emphasize that in there that the emphasis of uh buffers and deposits is also that you've paid out any debt, whether that's 
student loans, car loans, credit cards. If you have a mortgage, that's not the case, but we'll just rule them in there. Anyway, um, this person we work with closely went to buy an investment property and then asked both of us if, you know, now is the time. And we were just flat out, no. <laughs> it was just those. Oh, Charlie said the same thing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. Are you surprised? Right. But how's that person's attitude changed since they've gone this route? They're all in. <laughs> like, this is fantastic. This methodology makes complete sense now. Sleep at night factor, oh. more relaxed, can see they're building a much more stable structure to succeed off. You know what's funny? The, the way they're operating the business actually has the right lens of like profitability. Like it's almost like laser focused on like, no, this thing, just this thing. <laughs> just do this. All the difference. Yeah. So it's, it stands to be strong. And I'm not anti-debt, clearly. I think I have more debt than most people uh, combined. <laughs> no, but I, I run a lot of good debt. I'm not adverse to that. But I just think that if you are going to take on those types of things, you don't want to be running high risk anywhere. Concur. Yeah. So um, really important point to kind of uh, reiterate there. Wait, 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 wait. I'm stepping in. Charlie and I recorded long. This episode is extremely long, so I'm cutting it into two parts. You have just listened to part number one, and we do have part number two coming out in the next episode. But if you're sitting there, like me, going, how do I know when part number two is coming out? I got something for you. Head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your name and email, hit the subscribe button, and I will let you know the second that the next episode comes out. So do not miss part number two. I just want to say thank you very much for joining us and we'll catch you on part number two, which is the next episode of Business and Investing.